Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. The sponsor for this whole Labor Day Book Blast week is firstbook.org. Obviously, the pandemic is crippling education for millions of students, especially those in low-income communities. The widening digital divide and extended quote-unquote summer slide due to COVID is devastating. Apparently, 40% lack access to reliable internet and functioning digital devices they can use for online learning, making the need for physical books and resources to prevent further educational backsliding absolutely critical. Firstbook breaks down the barriers to education for children living in low-income communities by providing its network of more than 475,000 educators serving children in need with free and affordable new high-quality books, educational resources, and basic needs items through the award-winning First Book Marketplace nonprofit e-commerce site. They need your support to ensure these children have what they need to learn during this critical time. Visit firstbook.org to help Heather Cabot is an author, an award-winning journalist, keynote speaker, and former ABC News correspondent and anchor. She specializes in narrative nonfiction, storytelling, highlighting inspiring tales of innovation, enterprise, grit, and resilience. Her new book is called The New Chardonnay, The Unlikely Story of How Marijuana Went Mainstream, which, by the way, she says she is like the last person on the face of the earth who she ever would have thought would have written this book. Anyway, the new Chardonnay tells the unbelievable story of Pot's astonishing rebranding, pulling back the curtain to show how a drug that was once the subject of Just Say No Warnings managed to shed its unsavory image and land at the center of a booming and surprising upstanding industry. She's also the author of Geek Girl Rising, Inside the Sisterhood, Shaking Up Tech. Hi, Hi, how are you? Hi, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you too. Thanks for doing this with me, inviting me to celebrate the launch with you. I'm so excited to be a part of it. Thank you. This is really an honor for me because I love your podcast and I'm a huge fan. So this is very exciting for me. I put on some of my special <laughs> the new Chardonnay CBD lip balm. <laughs> I have to say I've been like a no, no, no CBD, anything for me. I don't know, whatever. But this one, I'm like all in, all in on the lip balm. It's got some good moisturizer in there. <laughs> <laughs> so Heather, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions so you can let everybody know more about your book, if that's okay. Perfect. So what inspired you to write the new Chardonnay? What made you want to research the whole entrepreneurial life behind the cannabis industry, basically? Well, there are a couple of inspirations. So one, and I know there are a lot of people watching tonight who've known me since I was a kid. You know, I grew up in the Just Say No generation. I grew up in the 80s and I, you know, I was never part or really had anything to do with the marijuana subculture at all. I mean, you know, growing up during that time, it just really wasn't part of my my life. And now I'm a suburban mom of teens and I'm looking around and I'm seeing 
celebrities who were talking about marijuana like as if it's just, you know, normal. And Oprah Magazine featuring a tea party, a THC-infused tea party with women wearing white gloves and hats. And Martha Stewart is on TV with Snoop Dogg in this pot-humored cooking show. And I'm looking around and I, I just... I was really surprised by it. And so the other aha moment is that my first book, Geek Girl Rising, a part of that book was focused on women investing in women-led tech startups. And so I was involved in that world. And right around the time that that book came out in 2017, I noticed that some of the female angel investors and venture capitalists that I had met during the course of reporting that book, that some of those women were investing in cannabis startups. And I thought, my goodness, these are people with Wall Street credentials, and they seem so straight-laced. And I, I thought, why would they invest in anything that's federally illegal? I just, I couldn't believe it. So I started making phone calls, and I started to learn about how this industry was just exploding. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And really what sealed it for me was somebody who I'd interviewed had said, who was an investor, had said to me, look, I can't explain this to you in just a phone call. If you really want to understand what's happening, you have to go to the marijuana business convention in Las Vegas this fall. And you can imagine what my family thought when I said, I'm going to go to the marijuana business convention. They were like, what are you doing? And, but honestly going there and seeing that it was just like, you know, like the consumer electronics trade show, it was like any other trade show that I had ever been, you know, that I'd ever covered as a journalist. I just couldn't believe that it was at the scale that it was and how professional it was. And the people that I met were so serious about it. And, and I just realized that there was a whole story there that many people didn't really know about. And so, you know, that just made me feel like, well, I've got to, I've got to pursue this. So true. I mean, this is really an amazing business book. I mean, this is up there with like, you know, James Stewart's like Disney war and like all these, no, it's true. Cause it's, a real, it's an examination of an industry and what happens and what makes an entrepreneur and how unpredictable characters become stars. And it's, it's so much more, this could have been about any industry, but it's, it could have been about the internet if this was like 20 years ago, but instead you found this new industry, which of course has so much more associated with it than just a product. So I don't know. It was like fantastic reporting. Thank Probably you. all your years as, as a reporter, but. <laughs> None of it was having the time. You know, I, I, I came out of local news. I came out of, you know, I had several years in network news, but even you know, I, it was rare to actually have the time to work on a story in depth and to be able to, you know, chip away at something over years. I mean, that is just an incredible luxury. So I'm so happy that you, you say that, you know, you could really tell the, the depth there because, because it's not many people get to do that. And that really is a privilege. And the way you were able to write it in such a narrative way, like, Festival is laying on her table and you know now she, she is at the pool in Arizona thinking like what did I get myself into and it's like you're, you're drawn into the narrative of it you almost forget that somebody had to go report it you know it's like when you see a war photograph and you're like okay well that's just a boy like on the street but then you're like well somebody must have been on that street to capture that reaction and I feel like that's the immediacy sort of this one tell me more about how you got all your research done aside from the one convention like how many trips did you take how many interviews did you do like what was the process like so hundreds of interviews and part of that is because first of all just getting my arms around this industry was I mean the learning curve was I can't even tell you how steep it was because this is a topic I mean not only is it it's complicated it's controversial 
but it touches on everything from business to politics to science to medicine, social justice. I mean, it's it's so rich, but and and there's so many different facets of it that are really nuanced. And so beginning, it was really just working the phones and talking with people and kind of figuring out what were the what were the various threads of the story I might want to follow. But it was a it was a lot of just talking to people and then traveling to meet them in person. And so my family, I, I cannot thank my family enough. My husband, I mean, the book is dedicated to my husband because he did so much heavy lifting when I was traveling because you know, since adult use is not legal in New York, a lot of my, a lot of the folks that I needed to follow were out in California and Colorado and Canada and all these other places. And so I would have to go away for, I try, I usually tried to keep it to like two or three days. If I was going to the West Coast, I'd try to just cram in a ton of, of interviews and, and my family on the West Coast, my two sisters, you know, they were like, and my parents, when I was in Arizona, you know, everybody let me crash with them. And that was always nice because I was able to you know, fit in some family time too. I mean, it was really a team effort because to cover this kind of a story where it's just happening in so many different parts of the country, it's such a fragmented industry, right? Every state is different. So to really understand that you have to, you have to go to these places and meet those people and talk to people there on the ground. So it was, it was a total adventure. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I'm so thankful that I had the chance again, that the time to just you know, learn and talk to people so I could absorb it all. And, I st- and I'm still learning. And by the way, I'll just say the industry changes so quickly. I mean, that was the other, that was the other challenge with this story. It was like covering a news story. So, you know, certain characters in the book where I thought something was going to go a certain way for them. I thought, you know, I was going to go with, you know, one character to do something. Well, then that deal fell through. And then You know, I mean, just so many things were happening in real time that when I finally sat down to write the book, I I really had to (laughs) calm myself down because I kept worrying that I was missing something because, you know, it's a book and you do have to stop writing at some point. And I think that was like the hardest thing. And how long, like, what was the actual writing process like after you did all the interviews? Oh my gosh. The writing process was... I want. I was thinking about it today because I knew you were going to ask that. I think I started in May. I don't want to be predictable. This is stressing. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I want to say it probably took me in total about nine months to write it, to, to, to fully write it. It was, what happened was it was actually, it was due in September and I wasn't done yet. And we had, we had moved and, and so I kept getting extensions and then I turned it in in January. But the whole process altogether was over three years because it took me a year. It took me a year to do enough reporting to actually put together a book proposal that I thought was solid enough that could really explain that there was a story here. Because there there have been other books written about the cannabis industry. And I wanted to tell this news story with these great characters. And I really wanted to do a narrative. So I needed time to to, to find those people and find those stories. I have to say, I went and and Googled all the people because I was like, what do they look like? You created really great, (laughs) but I wanted, I was like, all right, Chef Jeff, what does he have on the menu? You know, he has, and I was like, oh, my next party. I don't know if we ever have a party. (laughs) Did you go to Kate Hudson's birthday party when you reported that or did you just hear about that? No, actually, you know, what, what what was funny was I hadn't actually met Jeff 
yet. I had, so the way I met Jeff is kind of the way, this will sort of give you a window into kind of how I did the reporting. So I met Jeff because I was reporting on Snoop and Ted's venture capital firm, Casa Verde Capital, which for those of you, when you read the book, you're going to find out about how Snoop and his business partner, Ted Chung, decided that they were going to create this venture capital firm, not to invest in like growing or, you know, or even selling marijuana. They actually were investing in the software and all of the, the tech behind the industry, which was, it, 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 they had incredible foresight. And so I was meeting the partners now that, and I had been interviewing the partners that actually manage those investments. And I was telling one of them, this really nice guy named Yodi Meyer, and I was saying to him, I, I'm really interested in these cannabis restaurants. And it was at the time that West Hollywood was, I think they had just awarded licenses, the very first licenses for these, you know, weed cafes, essentially. And they were going to be really the first ones in the country where you could actually, you know, dine in public and have, you know, some type of, you know, whether it was a vape or whatever paired with your food. And I just thought that was really fascinating. And so I said, do you know anybody who's do in this space? Do you know anyone? And he said, well, actually, I just invested in one of these startup restaurants and I want to introduce you to the partners. So I met the, you know, we met the partners and I started talking a little bit more and then they started telling me about Jeff. And I was like, and then I found out he had a cookbook and I, I got the cookbook and there's so many recipes in the cookbook that were like Jewish recipes, like for Jewish holidays. And I just, I was like, that is so funny. And so I just really want to meet him. And so the Kate Hudson thing actually happened. I think, the, I think her party was probably like two weeks before this time that I actually flew out to California to go to a private party that he was catering. So I could be with him. I wanted to be with him in the kitchen because I wanted to understand all of his methods. Because again, like I'm a complete voyeur. I don't know anything about any of this. You know, this is like, I, I wanted to learn from him and see his methods. And so that had just happened. And actually it was top secret. No one really knew about it. And then I guess they gave the, you know, the her people gave the story to E and, you know, it was out there so he could talk about it. But no, I didn't go to the party, but, you know, she posted all over Instagram about it and it was written about. So I was able to kind of glean some of the details. And then I, you know, I, obviously I interviewed Jeff too. So yeah, it was, it was fun to see him right after that happened too. But he's cooked for a lot of people that, you know, he doesn't even, he can't say who they are, but I, he's been cooking for celebrities for a while. Wow. I love this pots ball, like all these yeah. corny, like funny pot Jewish yeah. I mean, who knew? I mean, <laughs> yeah. and I loved his mom and his mom, Sylvia was so lovely and, you know, gave me so many great stories about him as a kid. And I mean, that was my favorite part was learning the backstory of all these people, because what I really was trying to do was I wanted to write a book that would appeal to anyone just as a really great story. And the fact that cannabis is the backdrop is just kind of the way it is. I, I was trying to find people that just were going through, you know, their, their stories just anybody could relate to. They were just in a very human, universal way. They were characters that, you know, whether it's as an entrepreneur, whether it's as a parent or, you know, a mom who, you know, is going back to work after leaving you know, her, her profession for a few years. So they all had different reasons for why they wanted to get into the business. And I, I, that really resonated with me. And I, I tried to really bring that out. So interviewing Jeff's mom, for example, spending time with Beth's mom and her family, that was like such a great experience. And I, I'm so thankful that they allowed me to into their worlds. 
because it helped a lot. I mean, Ted Chung became one of the characters, the main characters in your book, and you track him sort of throughout his teenage years to being an Asian American, but the way you describe him is sort of like too laid back to fit in to the stereotypes there and how, you know, he eventually went to this like very waspy school and had to fit in with the blue bloods that he wasn't familiar with and then becomes like, you know, an, uh, this complete like maven in, in this industry and ends yeah. up hanging out with Snoop Dogg. And how can you not tell a story about a, a trajectory like that in someone's life? <laughs> I mean, it's well, really... Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Ted that I I always found so fascinating about him is he really is a kind of a soft-spoken, kind of stoic guy. And but then once you get him talking, he really, you know, reveals a lot about himself and about, you know, I just loved hearing about his family, his dad, you know, what kind of sparked this entrepreneurial zeal in him. And also the what I also was struck by was how that experience of going to college and and really sort of feeling like he was on the outside, how that completely shaped the rest of his life and his desire, you know, the marketing agency that he founded, Cashmere, which is all about marketing to multicultural markets. And the reason why he did that is because, you know, he could, he could see that himself, you know, he, he, he was felt marginalized, you know, and it was just so smart. And I feel like he brought all of that to cannabis as well, you know, and he just, he, he's one of those people that, you know, people will say he's a visionary and it was just to talk with him about the insights that he had about where cannabis was going to go. I mean, and, and then to see that he was actually really right on, that was really fascinating for me to see that and to be able to tell that story. Because I think in a lot of ways, this book is about marketing. It's about rebranding it. It is a business book. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that cannabis is the new Chardonnay. I'm, I'm saying it, it might be. And these are some of the people that are trying to make it so. So maybe it should be called the new Chardonnay question mark? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Uh, maybe for the paperback. Tell me about what it was like also talking to couples like Mel and Cindy McDonald who had to deal with really traumatic stuff like their son, Ben, who was in a horrible car accident and having all these seizures and wouldn't eat and the power of marijuana to change his health and to save his life, essentially. Like, did that sway you in one way or another in your own personal views of the use of marijuana or the legalization or any of it? Or how did it make you feel? It just, for me, you know, this was never an advocacy book. I mean, I always approached it as a, as a voyeur, as a journalist. My feeling going in and, and, you know, as I finished it was that I just, I wanted to shed some light on this industry and how it had matured so quickly so that people could make their own decisions about it. I thought it was really important to pull the curtain back on the amount of money and that's involved in it the injustice of, of, of it in terms of, you know, the communities of color that have been cut out of this industry and, and being able to profit from it. And also when you talk about Mel McDonald, the strange bedfellows, like the people you would never expect. And, you know, to be not only involved in it, but like evangelizing. And I, you know, I thought, you know, I kind of stumbled into Mel's story because of Beth. And I don't want to give too, too much away about the book, but you know, their stories sort of converge in Arizona and in the early days of Arizona's medical market. And I really felt when I had the chance to actually get to know Mel and Cindy that their story in so many ways crystallizes why we've seen cannabis go mainstream. 
because, you know, I, I think it's just, it's just this idea that for so many people, it really is medicine. And I never knew anybody who used it as medicine. I, I just, it was really not even in, it was nothing I ever was exposed to. So to meet them, these, you know, de- devout Mormons, and he's a formal, former federal prosecutor, as you'll find out in the book, a Reagan-appointed federal prosecutor, who, who ends up, you know, having this aha moment at a time that, you know, he never expected it. And I just felt like along the way, as I was meeting people and reporting the book, there were so many people like Mel, like people you would never expect would get behind this. I mean, when I was working on the book, actually, right before I finished the proposal, that was when former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, who was an incredibly vocal foe of marijuana. I mean, he had once said he was unalterably opposed to marijuana legalization. Well, he joined the board of one of the largest multi-state operators in the U.S. And I just thought, I mean, that was like head turning. I just, I couldn't believe it. And so there were all these things that were happening like that. So that's, I was so happy that I had a chance to meet Mel and Cindy because I think they put a face on this idea of change and people changing attitudes and why they're changing attitudes. And what about this whole other group of people who aren't using it that way, but the Chardonnay moms who you talk about who are happy that they don't have to spend the time even drinking it, doesn't go to their waistline, like this is the new, new thing, and they're all like sort of tittering about it. You know, what, about, what about them? You think this is going to be adopted? By like, you know, mom's night out? Well, I think we're already seeing that in certainly in the marketing to moms. I think, you know, if you go to California, you know, you go to any place where it's legal for adult use, you'll see these products that are labeled as microdose. So it's this idea of, you know, this kind of like, yeah, it's like having a glass of wine. It's not going to leave you hungover. It's not, that's, that's how it's marketed. And I think that there's an appetite for that among a, a certain group of, of people that, you know, they don't want a headache, they don't want to gain weight, you know, so I think these businesses are very savvy, focusing on that. And what I also write about in the book is that alcohol consumption has has gone down in recent years. And so there was an opportunity there for these companies. And I think, you know, it's as this spreads across the country, as you see, you know, more states approving recreational use, I think you're going to see more product innovation around that. And then the other part of it is the, is the growth of CBD, which, you know, when which CBD is, 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 it comes from the cannabis plant, but there is a, you know, because of the, the farm bill, when it comes from hemp, which is a very low THC variety of cannabis, that's legal. And so that opened up a whole door for all of these companies that have been doing more THC products to consider doing CBD lines. And I mean, that's why you're seeing it now in Sephora and Bed Bath & Beyond and all these, you know, your local drugstore. I mean, you can buy it anywhere now. And it's only really been since 20, the end of 2018. There's not a tremendous amount of regulation around it, which I think is problematic. And I think you're going to see guidelines coming out of Washington. But my point is that because CBD is not intoxicating, it is more appealing to people. And there are potential therapeutic benefits that people talk about. It certainly needs more research. But, but women are using it in large numbers right now for insomnia, stress, anxiety. There was just a, a big report that came out of a, a company called BDSA in Denver that tracks sales. And women are driving this. Women are going and, and they're, they're shopping for CBD for all of these, these kinds of things that I don't know about you, but I mean, all my friends, we're all dealing with sleeplessness and stress and anxiety. So you can kind of understand 
why there's an appetite for it, but also why these companies are seizing on that because they know there's an opportunity there. So I think like, we're just at the beginning. We're like sitting ducks. These we stressed out moms here yeah. who are <laughs> at the tail end of like months of this COVID stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They're like hard. See our market opportunity. Wow, it's amazing. So now that you've finished the writing and now that this book is like coming out into the world, is this like a case closed situation for you? Or is it the kind of thing where you have like Google alerts and you're just fascinated and want to find out everything more that's coming? Like, did this like whet your appetite or shut it down? I'm kind of ready for something new. I mean, it was great. I've enjoyed it. And I probably will continue to speak and write about it through the election and, you know, obviously through. I mean, it it is a fascinating topic. I am really, you know, I I really care a lot about the social justice piece and I will follow that closely and I will probably continue to do some freelance writing around that piece of it. You know, the the gender equality, gender equity and racial and social equity pieces of all of this. I, you know, I think those issues are really complicated. And I think that as you see more states looking at legalization, that that's something to pay attention to. It's something I care about. So it's definitely from that perspective, but I, am I going to be a cannabis beat reporter? No. (laughs) (laughs) It was an intellectual challenge. You know, it was, it was a really meaty, really amazing topic that I knew nothing about that I had three years to learn about. And I met some amazing people and incredible entrepreneurs, you know, who risked it all I mean, you know, the book is really about, it's about that. It's about like what drives somebody to go for it when they could lose everything, you know, and I, I'm fascinated by those stories. So I think whatever I do next is going to be around entrepreneurship again. I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily going to be in cannabis. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'm announcing it now. <laughs> do you have an industry you have your, your mind set on? I mean, I have so so many, but right now I'm just kind of focused on this because I want to get through the election too. Cause there is, you no, know, I was saying earlier about how the story is like always changing. I mean, even to do any of these interviews, I have to constantly prepare and stay on top of what's happening. And because the, the, for the political scene and, and the business aspect, it really is changing every day. So I still read my diet of you know, all the newsletters and, you know, I, my inbox is full of these like, you know, marijuana business updates for now, but because that's because I really feel like I need to stay on top of it. And I need to be able to speak intelligently about it, but I don't know. I, it's funny like this. I never would have, if you would ask me, would I ever write a book about this? I mean, I would have just, my family and my friends couldn't believe it when I told them that this is what I was going to write about. And now that now they've seen the book and they know why I, that I, why I found it so interesting. So I don't know yet, but I figure out how I have time. We're going to be in lockdown for a few more months. I'll have time to think about it. So I know you have teen twins and I have teen twins, newly teen. What's the takeaway for them? Like as a parent, now that you've learned so much more about marijuana and CBD and like all of it. And I know it was a byproduct of the business side or the passion for the people and the players in the industry. Mm -hmm. But along the way, I know you've learned so much, included a lot in it. What advice do you feel like, like what advice as a mom are you going to give your kids? Like knowing what you know? I mean, what I tell them is what I tell them about alcohol, you know, which is that this is not for you, but we've had some really great conversations about just substance use in general, substance abuse. And, you know, many people, you know, there's sort of a folklore that, you know, you can't become, 
you know, a habitual user of marijuana. That is not true. You know, people who, you know, have a predisposition to substance abuse or they have it in their families. I mean, they can be at risk. And also, you know, it's a new industry and it's not, you know, the, the illicit market is still thriving. So if you live in a place where, I mean, even if you live in a place where it is legal, I mean, and you need to talk to your kids about the dangers of getting it, you know, and, and you don't know, you don't know what's in it. And, and that's for adults too, frankly. I mean, it really is. So I, we had some really great conversations about that. We talked about brain development and why substance use, you know, before your brain is finished developing, particularly THC is and alcohol, not a good idea, you know, just not a good idea. But, you know, even more than that, my most important conversations with them really related to this book were really around the racial injustices of the drug war and really being able to, especially this summer as our country is going through this incredible reckoning on race, to have a conversation with them about my work and the relationship to systemic racism and what I found out about how drug enforcement in this country, you know, has led to really you know, devastating consequences for communities of color. And that was really meaningful for me to be able to have that conversation with them as well. And I, I said to people, you know, that my, my kids were actually really embarrassed that I was working on this book originally. And they, they wouldn't, they were like, don't tell anyone what you're working on. I mean, they really were not happy about it initially. But once we started having some conversations about what I was finding out, the people that I that I met along the way, whose lives were touched by the war on drugs and, you know, had relatives that were incarcerated or, you know, you know, who had experienced stop and frisk and, you know, that kind of stuff. It was really, it was just really meaningful to be able to give them practical examples of how, you know, we need to stand up for injustice and we need to be aware, you know, of what's going on outside our little bubble. And that to me was probably one of the most important conversations that I had with them beyond the just say no conversation, which thank goodness we've been having for a number of years anyway. You know, it's, it's not just one conversation, right? You know, it's also modeling good behavior. It's, it's an ongoing conversation and you hope, you hope, right, that that dialogue continues. So I hope it does. It's probably the best thing you could have done. Like, I feel like oh, as a kid, you. if your mom, no, if like, if your mom is into something, then it can't be off limits. Like I, when I grew up, my mom smoked. And then when my friends started smoking, I was like, well, that's not cool. Like my mom does that. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, the most strategic way to handle it. Really. I, I think they, they, you know, it's like, I knew too much about it. You know, I think, it was, I think, you know, but they're so young right now anyway, they're only going to be, you know, freshmen in high school. But the only other thing I'll say for the parents listening, one thing that I didn't, understand. And if there's one thing as a parent that you will take away from my book, other than just, you know, sort of like, you know, just the fun stories, but I didn't know anything about concentrates. I didn't know anything about cannabis oil. I didn't know anything about these other products. And that is something that as a parent, you definitely want to familiarize yourself with. So I go into more depth in the book about it, but basically there are derivatives of the cannabis plant that can be made into oils. And that's what are, that's the stuff that's used in vape cartridges. And it's, it can be, you know, turned into a kind of a wax that kids can, there's a thing called dabbing where we're not kids, but people, you know, uh, inhale it. There's also, you know, that's used for edibles as well. And it can be highly, highly potent. And there was a report that came out of Colorado last week, which for the most part since legalization has not seen an uptick in 
overall teens using cannabis. But this report last week actually found an increase in dabbing and also in vaping, even after the vaping crisis. So what that says to me as a parent, like you just need to familiarize yourself with what's going on and the different ways, the different forms that this can be used. And and those forms can be incredibly potent. Just, you know, certainly smoking it as well. But but these are highly concentrated forms of THC. So I just think as a parent, it's just, if you don't know about that, it is something to research and be aware of because those forms are can also be much more subtle. You, you don't necessarily know that your child ha- has that. So I think that's really important just to be aware that the products evolve. They're all evolving quickly. By the way, Jeff on his website teaches you how to make your own cannabis oil. So if you ever want to start experimenting, you could start there. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're an adult. If you're an adult. If you're not an advocate, and you live in a state where it's allowed. <laughs> I am not advocating. It's just putting it out there. I am not putting out a point of view. Well, Heather, thank you. And thank you to The Strand. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. Chardonnay. Amazing. Thank you for including me in the launch. And thank you to oh everybody my gosh. who listened and asked questions and everything else. And please go buy the book for anybody who hasn't yet. There's a little link at the bottom right there. Purchase the new Chardonnay. So Sibby, thank you so much. This is like a dream come true. I've been listening to you for months and to be able to be interviewed by you was just really, it was like the icing on the cake. So I mean, I just, I'm, thank you so, so much for your time and for all you do to support authors and to encourage people to read. It's just, it's so important. So thank you. And thank you to The Strand also for this opportunity. It was just, it made the launch week for me, honestly. Yay. <laughs> Thank and thanks everybody for joining us <laughs> too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much to firstbook.org for sponsoring this Labor Day book blast. Please consider giving to firstbook.org to help their network of 475,000 educators serving children in need. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thank you.